That's one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight, specifically the line of that song, um, there is no shadow of turning with thee, thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. I mean, that is great theology you just sung. The fact that there's no shadow of turning, that's a very biblical phrase, you're going to see that in the scriptures. The fact that it says that you change not in your compassions, your, your affections, the way you feel about us, they don't change. As you've been, you'll be. We're going to talk about tonight. I'm really excited about it. Hopefully it'll mean a lot to you. These are some truths, some of them you may have never heard of before. And most likely, at least one of them, I think you, you, you might not have ever heard of before. Um, but some of these you, you have heard. I mean, I've preached about it in a sermon recently about God's omniscience, God's omnipotence, stuff like that. You've heard those before, but man, just studying this week, I've heard it a, a thousand times. I mean, these are things that please don't come here and be like, okay, this isn't new information for me. I know God knows everything. Like, let's dwell on it together, shall we? Like, really reflect on what that means and, and hopefully, uh, as that one song said we sang at the beginning, behold our God. Be able to see God more clearly through the Scriptures and we'll fall in love with Him more and more. Does that sound good? Last week, we, we talked about this distinction between incommunicable and communicable attributes. Incommunicable are attributes that God has that we don't. He doesn't communicate them to. He doesn't share them with us. That's a good way to say it, right? God does not share certain attributes. Communicable, communicable, just as, you know, obviously means attributes that God does share with us. Ways that we're like God. We're going to talk about the communicable attributes next week. And those are, if this challenged you tonight, last week challenged you, next week, not more mind-blowing, but a little bit easier to understand God's love and God's grace and God's mercy intellectually. Emotionally, it can be harder, of course, understands God's grace. But we're going to plow through a couple more, five more incommunicable attributes. Last week, we talked about God being infinite, God being incomprehensible, eternal, say, and simple. Now, I want to say this week as I was studying, I stumbled upon a really helpful video on divine simplicity. And it's up on our website under the BGU thing. So if you want to go watch it, it's just like five minutes. And it's really just, uh, it's, it's this pastor named Kevin DeYoung. And he is basically saying what I said, but in a, in a more easy to understand, simple, and compact way. So it's like, I wish I would have known that video existed last week. But if you want to watch it just as a refresher, so you can go, oh yeah, that's what he means. It's really well done. It's on our website. Just click on the BGU tab. Okay. So, we're continuing through the incommunicable attributes. We're looking at five of them. Immutable, impassable, and then the three omnis. Omnipotent, um, omniscient, and omnipresent. The first one I want to look at is our God is immutable. Just like we sang in that song. Okay, great is thy faithfulness. Immutable. It means without change, without mutation. But there is no change in God at all. Uh, 
want to think about change and variation. Think about COVID variants, right? So we had COVID-19 and then later there was Delta and then there was Omicron. And after Omicron, I stopped paying attention. So I don't know what it's called now, but B12 or some sort of vitamin. I don't know what it is. But anyway, it's just like COVID's constantly changing, right? There's all these little variants because um, it is mutable. It, it's able to mutate. God is not like that. God does not change. Uh, we have this definition here that I think is helpful in your, your paper that says God is exalted above all becoming and development as well as above all diminution and remains the same eternally. Let's think about what it means for God to be immutable. We talked about last week that God is perfect, right? He's infinite. He's infinite in His perfections, infinite in His greatness. And God is perfect and forever remains perfect, which means, you've probably never thought of concepts like this, but there is no potential in God. No potential. If you have a 12-year-old grandson and he starts guitar, uh, he might learn a couple of guitars. Chords. You might think this about me, actually. You know, you might say, well, he's got a lot of potential. It's not great yet, but think about what he could be. You see what I'm saying? There's potential in that 12-year-old or and or me when it comes to guitar playing. Think about what could happen. He's not there yet. There's no potential in God. God has no potential. There is no, there is no opportunity for growth in him. He's absolutely maxed out in His perfection. He's infinite in His greatness. All of His attributes in every single way is perfection. So some theologians talk about how there's, there's no potential in God, um, but instead He's pure act. He's, he's completely 100% maxed out in every single way. So there's no room for growth, as that definition says. There's no becoming in God. He's the perfect being. God is being. There's no becoming in Him. Um, but also, there's no possibility of regression. Notice there in the definition, as, as well as above all diminution. So God's not going to get any greater, and He's not going to get any less. That's the doctrine of immutability. Um, now, if, you, if you're a careful thinker, if you're a careful Bible reader, um, you might think, well, it seems as if in the Bible, God seems to change what He does. Does He not? Uh, think about our current series, the longest um, five-week series ever, Jonah, because I think we're on week eight of Jonah because I've you know, missed three sermons or something like that, but we're finishing Jonah on Sunday, um, Lord willing. Um, but, but, but think he says, hey, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. They repent and then Nineveh is not overthrown. So you might look at that and say, well, is God really immutable, like you're saying, Matt, because it seems like He changed? Or you can think about Genesis 6. You don't have to turn there, but um, I think it's on your paper if you want to look at it later, where God talks about regretting um, you know, creating man. He, he regrets, and he, He's like, I'm going to wipe everybody out. seems like God changes His mind on humanity. So, so how can God be completely unchangeable it seems like he changes well let's look at the scriptures the first one is Hebrews 6 17 where it says so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose 
There's a phrase that the author of Hebrews says about God. The unchangeable character of His purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath. So God's purpose, God's will has this unchangeable character about it. What God wants to do will never change. So we need to keep this idea in the back of our mind while we read Genesis 6 through 7 that this was God's plan, that nothing has changed about God's purpose in this. Same situation in Nineveh. The key here is we have to uphold the doctrine of God's immutability. We're going to see other verses that teach this, but also we have to you know, pay respect to the biblical data where he says, like, hey, I'm not going to do this after I said it. I think the key here is that in, in all these cases, there is no inward change in God. There is never an inward change in God when it comes to His character, His purpose, His will. But, there, but God does respond to the outward actions of His people. So Nineveh changes. They submit themselves to God's will. And so God, in His character, responds to them with mercy. But there's not a change in who God is. He remains consistent within Himself. We see this idea in James 1.17 that says every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James teaches there is no variation in God. There is not even a shadow of a change. He is completely consistent. By the way, that's where that line of greatest thy faithfulness comes from. There is no shadow of turning with thee. It comes from James 1.17. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God of yesterday is the same God of today and will be the same God forever. The one that's the most clear, the one to keep in your pocket, if you will, when you talk about God's immutability is Malachi 3.6, which says so clearly, For I, the Lord, do not change. All right, that sums it up, right? For I, the Lord, do not change. So you always have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. That's a very important thing. And so as you read Genesis 6, 6, he says he regrets making man. You have to, as you read that, keep in mind Malachi 3, 6, which says, I, the Lord, do not change. And I love this part that continues in Malachi 3, 6, which says, Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I do not change, therefore, you're not dead. Let's talk about the importance of immutability. I've got three things that, like these are really practical, so that I don't want to be just up in the clouds talking about philosophy and never like have this be sure to change your lives. Number one, the, re the reliability and consistency of God. Where you can read the Old Testament, you can read the story of Genesis 6, you can read 1 Samuel 15, we're going to talk about that here in a second, and the God you're dealing with in the Old Testament is the God that's is in your room today. That's here among us today. So the doctrine of immutability shows us that we are interacting with the exact same God. That when we come to the living Bible, we are confronted with the living God. And He is exactly the same. So when you read the stories in the Old Testament, you can say, hey, this God's still here. He's still active. He's still alive. He's still present. And it just increases, in my opinion, your intimacy when you read the Scriptures. That this, this isn't just a historical figure. You read about George Washington, number one, George Washington could completely change, uh, and uh, he's also dead. 
kind of like the don't meet your heroes thing, right? But here, because they, they, they morph, they change, but God is forever consistent. Also, this shows us that you can know the Word of God is trustworthy and true and in no need of revision. There is no, well, that's outdated because God is different now. God doesn't get with the times. You see that? Because our God is immutable. He cannot change. He's complete perfection. So what God said um, you know, thousands of years ago on sexuality is still God's Word today. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He doesn't bend with the culture. He doesn't, he doesn't grow. There is no becoming in God, right? There is no potential in God. He is who He is. And there's no changing that. Number two, just a comfort of the reliability of the Gospel. That the wisdom of God found in the cross of Jesus Christ is forever certain in our lives. Is this good news that God is not going to change His mind on you? God's not going to change His standard of salvation or the way His covenant works? I mean, if we had a God who was mutable, we, we wouldn't know that if in 2025 He might change how salvation works. He might say, well, actually, you have to do this now. But no, we have a God who, who is forever consistent with Himself. There is no shadow of turning with Him. So therefore, we can hold on to the promise of the Gospel knowing that it's forever true. Which means, a little bit, is you can rest. Like, the Gospel's true. Jesus died for your sins. Um, he has the unchangeable character of His purpose. And it's for you through Jesus Christ. And you can rest in that. That's not changing. He's immutable. Finally, I love this point. This is an incommunicable attribute, right? Which means God doesn't share it with you. Which means, and some of you guys really need to hear this, you are not immutable. You're not. So, uh, a certain sin pattern in your life, a certain bad habit, a certain part of you, who you are, you might say, well, that's just my nature. That's just who I am. There's no changing that. People don't really change. Listen, you are not immutable. God does not change. You change all the time. I mean, your weight grows or diminishes. Your hair changes colors. You get taller. You get shorter. You forget things. You change constantly. Okay, so don't buy the lie like, oh, this is my nature. There's no way I could possibly change. God's immutable. You're not. You can repent of your sins and truly change because you are not the unchangeable I am. Okay, number two is impassable. Has anybody heard this phrase before? Impassable? This is fun, so at least you could learn something. Uh, this one is so, it's, it's difficult. I'm going to try to explain it. It's, I mean, it's very, it's a, it's a very historic, like it's always been around. You look at the old confessions of faith, they'll say God is without body, parts, or passions. Okay, you'll see something like that. God is, God is without passions. Now, with um, our culture, this one kind of grates against us, but I think it is really helpful Here's what it is. Impassable means, you know, like immutable was without change, without mutation. Impassable is without passions. Which more or less means that God is not moody. This is really good news. You know, like a moody teenager, one little thing doesn't go her way, and she flips, she pitches a fit, 
all this stuff. God is not like that. And that is really good news that our God is not moody. One theologian said our God is by nature incapable of suffering. And He is insusceptible to emotional fluctuation. Rather, we worship a God who is in complete control of who He is and what He does. This, is, this flows straight from immutability. So it, it's almost the same thing where if God is unchanging, then you have to apply that to uh, his, his feelings, His affections, His emotions in a sense. So since God can't change, there is no intense movement of emotions like we have. God doesn't have these sudden um, surges of passion like we often do. We're up, we're down, we're mad, we're angry, we're happy, we're crying, all this. Very much like little Madeline. This is her first, Wednesday not in here, she's in the nursery. We've gone from um, two babies to none, which I guess is good growth, I don't know. Um, yeah, there just be a second yeah. Anyway. No. No, no, no. Uh, anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, but, like, the, like the, the, the best picture of this is the Greek gods who get angry and wipe out humanity and they're very capricious with their anger and random and unpredictable. Um, the, the best way to think about this is our God doesn't have passion in the, in the, the sense of the word they used to use it in, but He has affections. Which is different because um, we uh, passion is when somebody else has control over your feelings, where you you burst in anger, you burst in you burst into love, you burst into joy. But God's affections come completely from Himself, is what this is getting at. That that we can't we can't cause an emotional rise in God, and we'll talk about why. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church gives these three kind of uh, ideas of passibility. So this is. I don't know what we have. God's not this way. External passibility is the capacity to be acted upon from without. So Steve could hurt my feelings, right? He could make me angry. Um, internal passibility is the capacity for changing the emotions within. So I could be happy inside and then think about something sad and get sad and get down. And sensational passibility is the liability to feelings of pleasure and pain caused by the action of being. Now, God's not this way. God is without passions. He's not moody. Um, he has affections, not these random surges of emotions. I want to be clear. A lot of times when we say God is without passion, um, it, you, you might read this if you, if you know you read like the London Baptist Confession of Faith. They would say something like God is without passion. Uh, and that, we might read that to say like God is passive or lifeless or stoic or apathetic. So, so you might be in here saying, so you're saying God doesn't care about me? Um, he doesn't have compassion. That's not at all what this doctrine is saying. It's, it's actually incredibly the opposite. What the biblical picture of God is, is that God is so infinitely perfect in His perfections. One theologian said that it's like He's maximally alive. That His love and knowledge is so maxed out that there could be no possible change in His affections. That God is maximally compassionate and benevolent and merciful and caring. Now, it gets a little complex because since God is infinite and incomprehensible, um, the Bible will speak often in like, analogical language is what I would say. It, it speaks in metaphors sometimes. Like for instance, you'll read things in the Bible like Isaiah 41.10. 
that says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay, we read that and we interpret it rightly because we're not, we, we don't believe that God has a body that He has a right hand that He's upholding us with. But God is speaking to us in language that He's supporting us, He's caring for us, He's doing this. And that's what happens a lot. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to 1 Samuel 15. If you think about God's passions, this, this also goes along with immutability. There's this really troubling story in 1 Samuel 15 where Saul sins. You know, God, God anoints Saul as king. Saul falls. And then because not of an inward change in God, but because of an outward change of circumstances, it leads to say, um, chapter 15, verse 10. Which says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed the commandments. So it sounds like God is passive. Right? Like he, he can be affected by us. Because Samuel had a, a thing and that's led to God having this emotion of regret. But then... We see in verse 29, in the middle of this, because at the very end of the story, verse 35, he says it again, um, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So these, these bookends, the Lord's regretted this. He has this feeling of regret. But then the author of 1 Samuel makes it really clear in 1 Samuel 15, 29, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. For he is not a man that he should have regret. Interesting, right? So what it says in, in verse 11, God regretted. It says in verse 35, the Lord regretted. But in the middle of those two, it has this verse that says, Hey, by the way, God is not like man that he should have regret. So, we see God has regret over Samuel. Then he makes sure that we realize it's not like our regret. Because God is not like us. He's not like a man. We don't have power over God in that way. Our God doesn't shift or move or change, but our experience of Him does. And we see Saul crosses a line, and then God remains forever changed, and His unchangeable character of His purpose remains the same. And He's saying, hey, you're not the king anymore. We're moving on. He doesn't regret like a man, but our experience of him. So I, I believe it's the it's the Bible kind of it's it's First um, Samuel's experience of God in that way that he's regretting. He's moving on. He's changing. Uh, anyway, that's that's difficult. If you have any questions about that, please ask me. We have scriptures to talk about this. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said? Will he not do it? Or has he spoken? And will he not fulfill it? God does not lie. He does what He says He's going to do and He's not going to change His mind. He doesn't have surges of emotional reaction like we do. Ezekiel 24.14 says, I am the Lord. I have spoken. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not go back. I will not spare. I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds, you will be judged, declares the Lord God. Again, I think the importance here is to say that God has doesn't have passions. He doesn't have these wide-ranging emotions, but He has the deepest, most infinite affection for His people. 
there's a distinction. Now, what's the importance of this? I think about Psalm 18, too, which says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I want to talk about the emotional benefits of impassibility. The emotional benefit for you that God doesn't get emotional like you do. That, you know like the phrase like she's the rock of our family. Being dependable, trustworthy. You can go to that person, talk to them, pour your heart out to them. They're going to be there for you. That's our God. Could you imagine if we had a moody God? I'm not in the mood right now. I don't have the emotional capacity to handle this. You know, I'm really upset about what's going on in the in, in Ukraine right now, so please don't pray to me because I'm just so torn up about it. Could you imagine we had a God like that? But no, our God is so perfect. He's so immutable that He's dependable. There's no shadow or variation in Him. So He's our rock that we can go to. So if you're having a hard day, you can trust that God's not having a hard day. Does that make sense? I think it's really good news that we don't have to be like, well, I'm going to pray to God He might be angry. Like it's like he might be angry, he might not be happy with me. I'm not really sure what it's going to be like. No, God is is perfect in all of His attributes. He is immutable. He he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have whims like we do. That's really good news. Okay, next one. Omnipotent. Okay, now we're kind of immutable. You might have been passable out there stuff. Now we're kind of waiting into things you've probably heard before, but. Nevertheless, it's so amazing. I hope this blows you away. Omnipotence means all. Omni just means all. Potence, power. So God has all power. And I love this definition because it's really important to define it this way. We'll talk about this here in a second. That omnipotence is the capacity to put His will into effect outwardly. The capacity to accomplish what is not in conflict with God's own being. So another way to say this is God can do whatever He wants. God can do whatever He wants. And every single word in that really matters. God can do whatever He wants. Before we get into some problems with that, I want to think about how we are not omnipotent. That we do not have the capacity to put our will into effect outwardly all the time in everything. We have some power. We can't put some of our will into effect outwardly, but not all of it, right? Uh, we cannot fly. We cannot create food with our minds. I can't, you know, uh, a great example of my lack of omnipotence is me on the softball field. I mean, Kenny Rudd, this might not be a great example for Kenny. He might seem omnipotent out there, but I wasn't. I mean, I can't hit 60 home runs like Aaron Judge. I can't get to ground balls. I mess up all the time. I have a will in softball, but I can't always make it happen. I desire things and can't bring them into being. That never happens with God. Think about this. Everything God wants, God can do. <laughs> Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is You who made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and by Your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God responds to the question later on in that chapter. Awesome chapter. 32, 27. He says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? God asked that question. The answer is no. Right? Is anything too hard for me? The answer is no. 
Jesus in Matthew 19, 26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The doctrine of omnipotence means that there are no problems for God. There are no rivals for God. There are no limits for God. And there is no difficulty for God. There is no project God can look at and say, You know what? I probably can't handle that one. That happens all the time at the house. Chelsea, we're going to have to call somebody. Can't, can't do that on my own. We're going to have to call Royce for that one. Right? No. God never looks at anything and says, I can't do it. I'd love to. No problems, no rivals, no limits, no difficulty. If God wills it, He can do it. Now, the reason why I'm phrasing everything like that, if God wills it, He can do it, God can do whatever He wants, is because the typical objection to the doctrine of omnipotence is classic. Well, if God can do anything, can He create a rock so big even He couldn't lift it? Y'all ever heard that one? I mean, it's just a classic. So either God can't make the rock, or he, he did make the rock, and now there's something He can't do. He can't lift the heavy rock. Or they might say something like, can God create a square triangle if He's all-powerful? Okay, so, one that omnipotence is the art of the possible. Uh, I think the key verse here is Psalm, um, Psalm 115, verse 3. Okay, Psalm 115, verse 3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. All that He pleases. Anything He wants to do, He does. So, that's what omnipotence means. Um, that He has the capacity to put, his, to put His will into effect outwardly. He has all power. But it, it doesn't mean that God can break the laws of logic. Because the laws of logic come from God. Does that make sense? That, that, that's from His being. So you're asking, can God, you know, contradict His being, contradict His character? Can He do something logical? That doesn't make any sense because God's bound by His own nature. Just like it's saying, that's like talking about God sinning or God lying or, or, or God doing something like that. No, God can do anything He wants to do. Does that make sense? So bringing up a, a, a logical situation uh, doesn't negate the doctrine of God's omnipotence. We see omnipotence all in the Bible. We see it in the very first verse, creation. God spoke existence into being. We see it in Him parting the Red Sea. I just read about this morning in my quiet time uh, with Hezekiah. God turning back the shadow ten notches. I mean, that is all powerful. God wanted to turn back the shadow ten notches, and He can do it. Um, we see omnipotence in the sinless life of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's omnipotence. Is it not refraining from sin, living a life of perfect holiness for 33 years, perfectly obeying the law? I mean, that is um, the capacity to put His will into effect outwardly. That's pretty awesome. We see the omnipotence of God and the resurrection of the Son of God that He defeated death, that death was no match or rival for Him. We see the omnipotence of God in you in this room that He has raised you from spiritual death to spiritual life, regeneration, second birth, being born again is a sign of God's omnipotence because you were that sinful, you were that dead. But God can put into effect anything He wants. 
once. You see that in your life. And finally, we'll see omnipotence so clearly in the second coming when Jesus comes back again. Omnipotence is good news. The next one we have is omniscience. Omniscience, remember omni means all, um, so it's all knowing. God knows everything. God has knowledge of all things great and small, free and necessary, past, present, future. I mean, this is just basic stuff in a way. We, all, we know God knows everything. But let's dwell on it for a second and see if I can blow your mind. In an entirely unique manner, through His being and with the most simple act, He comprehends Himself and in Himself all that is or could be outside of Him. We talked last week about the incomprehensibility of God, right? He's infinite. You cannot know Him fully, ever, for eternity. You'll never get to the bottom of it. Except for God, He knows Himself perfectly. How about that? The infinite God, fully known by God Himself. But He doesn't just know Himself, but in Himself He knows all that is and all that could potentially be. This is so unlike us, right? You can, I mean, surely you know this is an incommunicable attribute. We don't know lots of things. I mean, you guys have no idea what Brandon had for lunch. What did you have for lunch, Brandon? Salad. Salad. Okay, so what just happened? Right then. Danae, did you know that? Okay. Danae knew that. But none of us else did that. He had a salad for lunch, right? What just happened? You learning something has never happened with God. How about that? You just learned something. God never has. Amen. Uh, one theologian says, Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has occurred to God? That's pretty good. God has perfect knowledge from eternity of all things, past, present, and future, all things great and small. Brandon's lunch and every star's name. Pretty good. This quote, this idea, everything is eternally present before His divine view. And in the full light of his consciousness, everything lies exposed. So what I was thinking, what, what this is saying is that, okay, so Brandon had lunch today and he had a salad. We all got that now. And we're going to move on from that fact. You know, tomorrow, we're not going to care. Um, you know, somebody might watch this video and they might know, but 20 years from now, like that fact is going to be, nobody's going to remember Brandon had lunch salad for lunch on the 21st. You see what I'm saying? Like, we're going to move on. That never happens with God. He holds every single fact perfectly in knowledge. He never moves on. He never forgets. He never, he never lets it slip out of his mind. Because he has perfect knowledge of everything past, present, and future. This gets a little convicting, obviously, if you think about all those sins that you felt so guilty about for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but eventually you kind of get over Right? That was 25 years ago. But for God, it's, He has perfect knowledge of it right now. Here's some scriptures to back it up. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. 
Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed sub substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God in his book had every single day written out, and he, he knew about them. He knew about every single detail that you had today. Uh, Proverbs 15.11 says, Sheol and Abdon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. Proverbs 15.11 talks about your heart being completely open before the Lord. Along with that, Proverbs 5.21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Wow, so God knows perfectly every single thing about you. Knows every single thing there is to know. No exception. Why should this be important to us? How can we apply this to our life? Number one, do you believe God wrote this book that He inspired as we talked about someday with Jeremy Wallace? If that's true, I mean, talk about an author who knows his stuff, right? So this is a book of perfect wisdom, perfect instruction, perfect knowledge. And so we should go to this Bible because it's like we are, we are reading the words of a being who knows all things. Also, it just reminds me that God's wisdom, while we'll never fully attain it, we'll never be as wise as God, we'll never fully understand the wisdom of God, but it's available to us. God's omniscient, and He says in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's a promise of the Scriptures. So we're talking about God knowing everything, knowing every possibility, being the most wise being, having all this knowledge. And then the Scriptures also say, you can ask Him for help and He'll give it to you. That's a pretty good promise. It's also a great comfort that God knows what you're going through. That God is fully aware that you are seen and you are known and you are eternally watched over and loved. God is intimately acquainted with your ways. Not one thing is overlooked. Not one thing you never you've never been like God. You never slipped out of God's mind. But no matter how big your problem is, no matter how small it is, God says, "Cast your cares on me because I care for you." And He knows that's extremely comforting. It's also convicting that God is fully and eternally aware of every single sin, every single thought, every single word, every single action that you've ever done. There is no hiding from God's knowledge. There is no fooling God. You can come in here and you can fool us. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. He knows all things. You can't trick God into thinking you're being sincere. You can't slip past God and hope He's just caring about the big characters in the world, not you. God's omniscient. He knows all things. Last point. Our God is omnipresent. This one just blows me away. I hope you can be, be affected by it like I have been this week. God is all-present. Omni-all-present. The definition here is He is exalted 
above all distinction of space. So he, he's transcendent beyond space, right? He, he's transcendent. Yet, at every point in space, is present with all his being. And as such is the cause of space. So God is the cause of all space. He's transcendently beyond all space, but also He's wholly present at every point of space. He's omnipresent. We're the opposite, right? We're here in this room. Uh, if I go downstairs to play uh, dodgeball with the youth, like I'll be down there. And then I'll go home. But I can't be home and here and down there at the same time. Now, some of you guys try to live that way. And it's all lies. It doesn't work. Okay? Because you're not omnipresent. This is an incommunicable attribute. But our God is not finite like us, but He is infinite. And the, another word is immense, where He is uh, everywhere, all at once. Churchin uh, says, here's a quote, for wherever He is, He is holy. And if you don't, if you don't have the paper, that's a holy with a W, not an H. Wherever He is, He is holy. Holy in all things, yet holy beyond all. Here's what I mean by that. God is not. Don't think about God stretched over the entire universe. Where it's like um, Plato and you just stretch it out and it gets super thin. And so we have like a little bitty piece of God right here at Beach Grove. Uh, then over at Grace Community Church in, in Los Angeles or whatever with John MacArthur. Like he's got a little bit, maybe he's got a little bit extra over there or something. I don't know. But we got a little bit. That's not the way to think about it. No. God is fully present in every single point of space. So right now, right here, God is fully present in the farthest reaches of the galaxy, the farthest spot in the universe that you could possibly go. God is fully present there and yet simultaneously right here, right now, in this room, God is absolutely fully present with all of His attributes. God is here in His essence. You can go home. You can read your Bible. You can pray. God is fully present. God is fully present in Ecuador, in Toronto, in Hazard, Kentucky, on Mars, and the Waffle House on Alcohol Highway. <laughs> all those places at once. Look at the scriptures, 1 King 8, 27. It says, But will God indeed dwell in the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Jeremiah 23, 23-24 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I could not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Psalm 139, I read this a couple of months ago, um, 7 through 10, says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Remember, uh, the simplicity of God. Uh, we talked about last week, there's not parts in God. Parts of God. God is. The I am. God is here fully right now. I, I, I can't forget it. I heard a sermon years ago. 
And this pastor said, God is closer to you right now than the air particles are in your nostrils. I mean, just the intimacy of that in God's presence. I mean, He is always with you. He is fully present. Now, I want to think of this a little bit. God is fully present in every place. He's omnipresent. He's all present. So, I mean, I have a date that God's present among us right here. He's going to be with you on the car ride home. He's going to be with you in the hospital everywhere. But we do experience that differently, right? There, there's something different about what we might say being in the presence of the Lord. That's scriptural. I mean, I think about Psalm 1611. It says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. He's saying something there. He doesn't just mean everywhere. We're in fullness of joy, right? He's saying there's something about being in God's presence. Uh, Proverbs 15, 29 says, the Lord is far from the wicked. Okay, we know generally He's not far from the wicked. He's everywhere all at once, but there's something about the Lord's presence. So I want to make a distinction here between the special presence of His favor and grace and the general presence of His essence. God is fully present everywhere. But I think the difference is we can enter a worship service and experience God's presence because we are more aware of God's presence and we enjoy God's presence because He reveals it to us more clearly, more, more surely. Does that make sense? But God doesn't come and go places. You know, we don't, we don't come here and say, Holy Spirit, we enter the room because God's only present. He was here before we got here. Full, totally. So what we ask is, God, will you make us more aware? Will you reveal your presence? Will we, we, we grace us with your presence? We, 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 uh, we open our eyes to see, feel, to know you're here. And that's why we look forward to heaven. Obviously, there's a distinction between God's presence here and God's presence in heaven. Because in heaven, God's presence will be totally known and totally enjoyed. Perfectly revealed. No limitations. No sin hindering our knowledge of God. And that's what we look forward to. Is it not? So, in conclusion, our God is all present. Here, right now, here, wherever you go. Our God is all powerful. He can do anything He wants. Our God is all-knowing. He knows all facts, great and small, and He is never changing. He is absolute perfection, immutable, impassable. You can trust Him and you can depend upon Him. And hopefully you see, as we, as we look at these things, that these are all incommunicable attributes. That we do not possess these. Right? We are filled with passion um, in a bad way. We are, we are constantly changing our minds and opinions and fleeing from God. We are not all-powerful. We, we cannot be everywhere at once. We do not know everything, but we know the God who is. And so I encourage you to look to Him and worship Him and praise God for being God alone. As it says in Psalm 145, 3, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. I hope you've tasted just a bit of that tonight. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you bless our study tonight. God, I pray that we can love your word and love who you are, God. And I pray that you can just impress upon us your glory and your majesty and your bigness. God, that you are so powerful, so wise, um, so present even right now, God. And I pray that, God, thank you. And that's not going to change you. Um, so, God, we worship you and praise you and exalt you in this room. In your name, Jesus.